So, in 1993, I was graduating high school, and so for those of you that are trying to do quick math in your head, I was 18 then, I was born in 1975, and I'm 46 years old now. I know, I look pretty good for 46, right? I don't. So, in in 1993, as I was graduating high school, thinking about um, growing the process of, of getting ready for college... Um, my parents had decided that they were going to get me a car. So I'm like, awesome. Who doesn't like free stuff, um, especially a car when you're 18? And a um, little background, I, I had kind of grown up as I was 16, 17, and 18, and I think my dad's midlife crisis was really helpful for me uh, in the cars that I got to drive uh, when I was in high school. So... And for my family, although we weren't like ridiculously poor or anything of the sort, uh, we weren't um, coming from like lots and lots of money. But my parents, or my dad, he was like, well, we're going to spend, because I was pressing, like, how much are we going to spend? You know, I would go to the grocery store, you know, the cardinal down the street, and I don't even know what they were called, but the, the newspaper prints of all of the different vehicles uh, that were on there, young people just, it, it's online now. And, and I would look like, oh, man, what can I get for three grand? Oh, well, what if we went to like 3,500 or four grand, you know, as we start to think of these things. And so I was looking at all of this stuff, and, and I had in, in my mind that this is what my parents were going to do for me. And um, in somewhere in the mix of all of that, um, they kind of acquiesced to, well, you know, well, we're going to get you a reliable vehicle, son. Yeah, so, you know, as an 18-year-old, I'm like, yeah, whatever, you're, you're spending this much money on my car. And my sisters, by the way, which are much older than I was at that point, they didn't get a car, but I was getting a car. And whether that makes me the golden child, whether that means I'm the baby of the family and we always get everything we want, uh, or just that I was the son, I don't know. But nonetheless, there we were, and, and I had these grand visions of this car that I was going to have. And of course, for me, it wasn't really a car. It was, it was going to be a truck, and it was, it was going to be a nice one. And um, so as that all kind of went on, and it, it took, you know, just month after month, and no car, no truck, and I'm looking at all these magazines, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, ah. Uh, I really, I'm going to get this, and I really deserve it. And eventually, my, my dad has a conversation with my grandfather, and like, hey, I know this guy. He's got a truck, and um, we can get it uh, for a good price. It's a really reliable truck. And I'm like, oh, well, great, but I've got this magazine, <laughs> and here's all of these other ones with, you know, V8s that I really want with a dual exhaust, with the the glass packs and all of that kind of thing. And three of you understand what I'm talking about. And they're like, oh, well, it's it's a 1986 Ford Ranger. Oh, (laughs) that's that's great. Okay, at least it's a it's a truck. That's nice. It's not a not a V8. And it had like two tone blue. You know, it was like there's like a dark kind of blue and like a light kind of Ford bluish gray kind of color, and and it wasn't you know four wheel drive. It didn't have a V eight. It certainly didn't have dual exhaust, and it had one of those um, I don't even know what they're called, but like a truck cap that's like a aluminum, you know, the, just the really cheap looking ones on a Ford nineteen eighty six Ford Ranger. 
And they, they told me this, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's not going not gonna to happen. And as though I had something to say about it. So we would go back and forth um, with my parents and uh, communicating to them that, no, 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 you said um, you were going to spend this much on a car, and you were going to buy one for me, and if it's for me, this is what I want, and this is what you really need to do, and I'm not really interested um, in this other truck that you want to provide for free for me, <laughs> whether it's reliable um, or not. And eventually, as I began to kind of tell myself um, and certain things about what they said, that they said, oh, they were going to spend this much money and not this, it always went to the higher number. And in fact, as I think about it, uh, think back to all of the conversations, I'm not sure if they ever actually said two or $3,000. <laughs> But I came to believe that this is what they said, and this is what they were going to do, and that they were going to buy this for me. So as, as I began to believe um, these different things and telling myself these things, um, I ended up getting this 1986 Ford Ranger with an aluminum uh, truck cap um, on the back. And I can tell you, um, it, it was one of the best vehicles I ever had. <laughs> It was incredibly reliable, and it was good, but man, um, I, I was incredibly um, ungrateful uh, for what they were doing for me, and it was all about me and what I wanted and what I thought um, I deserved, and um, believing um, that I somehow um, deserved better <laughs> than what they were offering, better than what obviously my, my sisters had gotten, which of course was nothing. <laughs> And as we're going through um, this book of Malachi and, and reading through um, Malachi and God's words uh, to the children of Israel, um, I think that there are a lot of similarities between the story of my 1986 Ford Ranger and the people of Israel. They had somehow gotten into their mind of how God was going to bless them, somehow uh, what they deserved um, that God was supposed to do um, X, Y, and Z for them and bless them, um, and he was supposed to take care of everything else. And um, not realizing that in all of it, they, they were actually already incredibly blessed by God. They became arrogant, um, they became um, confused, and uh, they began to accuse God of lots of different things, as we've already seen. They accused God of not being loving, um, not being faithful to them. They forget about all of the history of what God has already done uh, for them. And all the while, they, they themselves are the ones doing um, the evil of which they're saying God is responsible for. And I think much of that is rooted um, in their belief that God was somehow being unfair to them, that life is unfair, and that they deserved better, and somehow the world deserved worse than they are. So we come to uh, the end of chapter 2 in, in the book of Malachi. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. It's at the end of, of the New Testament, uh, right before Matthew. And uh, we're going to um, start in chapter 2, um, in verse 17. So God, today as, as we open your word, as we begin to understand uh, what it uh, meant um, to the children of Israel in that day, in that time. God, may you uh, speak to our hearts. May you challenge us 
as to what it means to us here and now in our day. God, may you remove um, the blinders from our eyes. Um, God, may you remove the arrogance from our lives where we somehow think that we deserve better and you somehow are the problem. God, may you convict us today. And God, may we be um, more refined um, because of your grace and your goodness than when we walked in. And God, may the words spoken today, the thoughts that are heard, God, may they be um, from your mouth and uh, not my own. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in Malachi chapter 2 in verse 17, uh, we see, um, it goes back to uh, the fourth disputation of this dispute, this dispute that um, the children of Israel are having with the Lord. And Malachi um, says to the people that you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? And the people have already questioned God's love. They've questioned his majesty. They have questioned his faithfulness. And they've questioned his fidelity. And here they begin to raise the question of God's justice. They're not happy with their circumstances. And somehow they're trying to make it as though it's God's problem, his fault. And the accusation is this, that you, children of Israel, have wearied the world, or you have wearied the Lord with your words. Now, for parents in the room, you can kind of understand this, right? You've got a kid, um, maybe you don't, maybe your kids are perfect, Um, I'm sure they are. And you've got this kid that begins to just complain about things going on in their life. They begin to complain about how their circumstances in their room and their little world aren't fair. They begin to whine about what they have and what they don't have. And then eventually, after all of this whining, when they're just doing dumb stuff, somehow they come to you, and whose fault is it? It's yours. (laughs) Oh, parent, (laughs) my life is awful because of you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And maybe, maybe you're not a parent, but you've got a friend that um, somehow that friend um, just continues to talk and talk and talk and whine and whine and whine and complain and complain and complain. And it is always, it's always about them. They never once um, begin to ask the question, uh, maybe, maybe I'm part of the problem. And we can begin to understand how um, our words or the children of Israel's words can weary God. And if you think about that for a minute, imagine someone telling you, imagine God telling you, oh, your words, they're exhausting. This is kind of the picture that is happening here as Malachi is telling the children of Israel um, that they have wearied the Lord with their words. But they ask, how have we wearied him? Like they legitimately um, here, at least it seems, they, they they don't know. They don't know. How is that possible after God has rescued them? Now, there's stories from just hundreds of years of God rescuing them from captivity, of God um, being patient with them, of them being um, taken into captivity and God restoring them. And they had just rebuilt the temple and and things were good and the worship was, was good and life was good. And 
suddenly, somehow, they, they get to the place where it's all God's fault. And I think, much like them, I, I think that uh, we're probably people, too, that at some point, we start believing the lies that we're selling. It's not just a, well, maybe it's God's fault. Well, maybe if God would do something different, maybe at some point, we actually start believing these things. That somehow it's my job to complain um, to God uh, because it's his fault. It's not mine. After all, I mean, God's sovereign, right? And clearly, if my life circumstances aren't as good as I would like them to be, clearly, if God is sovereign, it's his fault, not somebody else's, and certainly not mine. We can see how the children of Israel would have wearied um, the Lord with their words. But how do they do this? And it goes on and Verse 1, it says, by saying that everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. This idea that everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord was born out of their distaste of people who were doing evil, but somehow they were prospering. They were jealous of other people in society. In their minds, we are the people of God and if we're doing the things that God wants, somehow we're going to be blessed and our material life and world is going to be prosperous. It's not prosperous, therefore it must be God, and God somehow is actually enjoying um, evil in our world. It was born out of their belief that um, they deserved more and that they deserved better than everyone else. Is it possible that, that we do this? I think so. But to be clear, in Scripture, the church is not a continuation of, nor is it a new Israel. This passage was written uh, to a, a people, the people of Israel, in a certain time, in a certain place, to uh, deal uh, with certain things. But if we're honest, we can probably see many parallels um, going on in our lives and in the church today. We can think of heresies um, that are going on in the church, uh, things that are leading um, us or people of the church astray. We can see that lying and deceit for many have become just fine um, as long as it's accomplishing something good. We can see that in the church that the act um, of homosexuality is no longer a sin. That is acceptable in God's eyes. We can see that God somehow wants us all to be healthy and wealthy. And people are believing these things. But only if we're without sin do we get those things people believe. We somehow have come to believe that America should inherit, it, inherit the promises given specifically to Israel. Many believe in the church that we as individuals and as churches are better than the rest of the world and that we should receive blessing for it. We've often, as the church, um, began to believe that we as individual churches are better than other churches because of this or because of that. And do we not have pastors and teachers and denominations that perpetuate the same kinds of things? And we come um, to believe these things, that everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And it says that um, the Lord delights in them, that God somehow delights in these things. They're throwing it back um, in God's face. That this is not just your problem, God, but it's clear that you're enjoying um, evil being called good and good being called evil. So for them, it's not about justice at all. It's about them. Um, 
and they're clearly uh, beginning to whine um, over and over as we read through um, this book of Malachi. And eventually, they um, begin to ask um, for justice. They want God to bring justice to this world. But clearly, they don't understand exactly what it is um, that they're, what they're asking for. And we can see that um, beginning in chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. God begins to respond to the children of Israel who are wearying him, that are asking, where is this God of justice? And he responds by saying, behold, I'm going to send my messenger. And there's two messengers um, in here, and there's actually three people that I want us to um, look at and see just briefly. There's the person who is um, saying it, um, the person who refers to themselves as I. This is clearly God. Um, he's the one sending um, this messenger, and he refers to himself as the Lord of hosts in the same verse. This is God, likely God the Father. The second person is this messenger that it refers to. That He says, behold, I will send my messenger. This person is John the Baptist. So how do we know that it's John the Baptist? If we looked at Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, it says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Okay, so that talks about Elijah that he's going to send, um, likely to be this messenger. But if we look ahead into Matthew 17, verse 10, it says, And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that the first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So this messenger that's going to be sent, this first messenger, um, clearly, and there's other verses that uh, we could look at in Matthew chapter 11 and others, where it's clearly as John the Baptist has come to prepare the way of the Lord. He's this messenger um, that's coming. But then there's this other messenger. This one is clearly Jesus that's coming. So why is he coming? It says he will um, come suddenly, um, and he will come to bring justice. But probably not the way that people are thinking that justice is going to come. It will look different. And where is he coming? Jesus, it says, is coming to the temple. The same place where Israel and the priests of Israel uh, were sacrificing to the Lord in an unholy way, where they were defaming uh, the name of Christ himself and God's sacrifice and his love for his people. It also seems um, here, although not seems, it clearly states that this uh, messenger, um, this justice is going to come first to the priests. It's going to come to the sons of Levi um, here. And remember that the children of Israel, they, they weren't asking for God to come and like judge them. That they were all about God coming and judging those other people <laughs> so that we can have their stuff. We want their blessing. 
But God is saying, no, I'm going to send my messenger. He's going to prepare the way for Jesus. I'm the messenger of the covenant. And Jesus is going to come to the temple. And he's going to deal with the priests first. And it seems as though as this, this um, almost dialogue in the beginning um, begins to take a turn where God's response um, becomes clearly authoritative. It's no longer a conversation. God is making statements to the children of Israel so that they would clearly understand uh, what it is that he is about um, to tell them. Um, so the, as the conversation changes and Jesus or God makes this statement, um, everything changes. So what is this passage I'm here talking about. So as we talk about prophecy, there's lots of things that we could discuss, but oftentimes um, in prophetic literature, we see that um, there are different time periods and many prophecies that are listed, but they seem in the prophecy to seem to be right after one another. So if I was to ask Gary to, to stand up there in the, in the middle of the church and look at the chairs in front of him, he could probably see the backs of all the chairs, right? You could probably see that. Um, and the ones that are closer to him, he's probably likely to see down into um, the, ch- the space between the chairs better. And as those chairs get further and further away, um, he's going to see less and less detail in the middle of what those chairs. And in fact, as he would look at the front one here, he's probably not going to see much at all. He's just going to see the back of the chair. So as this first messenger, we clearly see is John the Baptist, and he's coming to prepare the way for Jesus. Um, What we can clearly see is that Malachi might not see um, every moment in time as he is uh, making this prophecy about this um, judgment to come, as he talks about um, Jesus coming um, to judge and to judge the world. So we ask the question, well, what is um, this messenger of the new covenant um, going to come? Where where is this justice going to come? Well, certainly we know Jesus came, uh, lived uh, on earth here, has lived a perfect life and died uh, and rose again. And uh, when he ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. Is is that the time period that Malachi is uh, talking about here, where this um, justice is going to come into play? Um, Is it possible that um, God's uh, refinement that we're going to talk about in just a minute is uh, for all time after Jesus um, comes, or is it just in the time where Jesus was here? Um, Or is it possible that this was somehow um, a prophecy of Jesus um, coming back someday to judge um, the world? And as I look at um, the Scripture, to be honest, I I don't know that it's incredibly clear Um, It does um, seem um, to be clear that this isn't um, talking about um, Jesus coming back um, in um, the latter days to come and and judge the world. And we can know that because as we go on here in just a moment, we're going to see that this um, judgment, this justice that's to come, um, it's not for the whole world. This justice that's about to come is for the children of Israel. So let's check out um, verses 2 and 3. It says, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. 
So who's the justice for? As we already mentioned before, that this is coming for the priests. It's coming for the sons of Levi. And again, um, as this is happening, um, they are asking for, waiting for, longing for God to bring justice to the rest of the world. And God says, no, um, I'm going to start with Israel, and I'm going to start with those making the sacrifices, which we have already established in chapter 1 and chapter 2. They're defaming the name of the Lord. God finds them to be offensive. So what type of justice is this? It says, who can endure? Who can stand? It's clear that this is a powerful um, judgment and that no one uh, will escape. Who can stand? Who can endure? It's also um, clear that it's a a fiery judgment. Um, Notice that it doesn't say that it is um, like a forest fire or like an incinerator's fire. A forest fire um, clearly isn't um, going around picking and choosing (laughs) what it's going to destroy. A forest fire destroys indiscriminately. It doesn't care who or what you are. An incinerator's fire um, destroys everything completely. But that's not what this passage seems to be saying. It's clearly saying that this is a refiner's fire um, that's happening, which is different um, than the other two. In verse 6, we can look at later that um, it actually says that it tells the people that they're not going to be consumed, that they will um, be able to last this. So as we look at this idea of a refining fire, um, Webster's Dictionary defines refining as to free from impurities or unwanted material, to become pure or perfected, much like one would refine gold or silver. As they would heat those things up, and I think gold was somewhere around 1,900 degrees, and they would heat those um, items up to the point where other items, the impurities that are in there, would somehow separate, and they would take those off of the top so that what you're left with is something that is pure and it's lasting. It also mentions like a fuller soap. A fuller, uh, those are people um, who would take the linens, uh, most likely out of the temple, those things that were a white cloth, and they would take them out and they would use an alkaline substance to clean uh, these linens to remove uh, oil and grease and impurities um, from them. And um, it was a harsh... (laughs) Uh, way of doing things, but it worked as they separated the impurities. So both of these ideas, the fire and the fuller soap, they're designed to remove um, impurities, so you're left with a pure substance in the end. God wants um, and God demands that his people are pure. So what is the result of this? It says that the result is that the priests will bring an offering in righteousness. And remember, it was the priests Uh, who uh, were the ones um, that were intermarrying, um, leading the people, teaching the people. They were offering sacrifices um, that were offensive to God. And this first uh, refining fire comes to the priests. But the end result of this refining is that the priests will be able to offer sacrifices in righteousness. So if you can think for just a minute, what um, offering sacrifices... um, that aren't righteous, would kind of do to one's relationship with the Lord, Um, the children of Israel's relationship with the Lord. You can imagine the the turmoil, the distrust, the angst. You can imagine the enemy um, sneaking in and helping people to believe lies. 
just to separate, to divide. And as those things are offensive to God, certainly his anger um, would grow. And we see um, for them that they're now able to offer sacrifices and righteousness. And we've got to remember, what, how are the children of Israel processing um, all of this information as, as they are taking it in? God has clearly made some statements to them. Uh, they have asked for judgment and justice for other people, and now it's clearly coming their way. And um, it seems as though um, God is clearly implying, um, I'm not the problem here. You are. You are the problem. And it's good news that um, God will purify his people. Because if it were me, I don't know if you've ever tried to like fit into God's shoes. Has anybody done this? <laughs> you try to act like, okay, if I was God, what would I do here? Would anybody else just destroy them? Yeah. You know, uh, I'd be asking, oh, did I really have to make that rainbow promise? <laughs> uh, I, I would just like to destroy the children of Israel and be done. And God would have every right uh, to do that, to destroy all of his creation. But yet he doesn't. Even as they are uh, whining and complaining over and over again, even as he rescues them time after time, and he restores them, and he restores his relationship with them, and then they just destroy it and worship other gods, and now it's like his fault that they're worshiping other gods. He doesn't destroy them. He chooses to refine them. And he, he starts here uh, with the priests. Leads us to verse 4. It says, Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. I've got to think that um, the lack of awareness of the Israelites up to this point, um, that they still probably weren't getting it. They were still probably asking the question, well, why, how have we wearied you um, in all of this? I'm betting their thought process was probably something a little like this. Oh, well, we, we wearied you? Well, how, how'd we do that? Oh, yeah. I guess uh, maybe we might have gotten tangled up in calling a few things good that were evil and, and, and vice versa. And okay, okay, well, maybe uh, we even accidentally um, blamed it on you, God, and that's right, you know, we're, we're all for justice, and we think that should be good, and you really need to stick it to those people out there who do evil, and we don't, you know, want to be arrogant uh, or anything, um, but those people, they're, they're just really awful, and you have um, kind of let them just go on too long, and uh, you really need to do something about them. But we hear you, we hear you, you know, the priests, um, they've really let us down, those priests, they've screwed this whole thing up for us. And I guess maybe, maybe those priests, maybe they need a little judgment too. Uh, thanks for taking care of that for us, God. We I would really like to go back to, to getting the bless, blessings of, of things like in the former days and former years when you were happy with their offerings. I mean, can you see the children of Israel kind of having this kind of attitude? And I honestly, I can... I can see um, myself, I can see us as God's people having that attitude too. That somehow 
it's always um, somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's problem. Well, it's about to get really real uh, for them in verse 5. It says, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner or the alien, and, and those who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Justice is now coming to them. And it says that it'll be swift. And it'll be swift against sorcerers. It'll be swift against adulterers. It'll be swift against those who swear falsely, against those um, who oppress the hired worker and his wages, those who oppress the widow and the fatherless, those who thrust aside the sojourner, and justice will be swift for those who do not fear me. So you ask, where is the God of justice? God's answer is clear. He is coming, and justice will be served. And I don't know um, how you have been um, just processing um, these words of God just the last few weeks as we've been in this book, but personally I've really felt um, just God challenging uh, me uh, to consider um, how much am I like the children of Israel here in these moments? How much am I looking at other people um, as though they're the problem? And what God needs to do is take care of them. And when he takes care of them, somehow I, I benefit from that. And, you know, as many of us, maybe all of us, as we're looking at our world and asking, well, what, what in the world is going on? It seems as though, as we talked about in our life group just a little bit this week, that um, our world has gone mad. <laughs> I mean, do you feel this? Do you sense this? Um, good is now evil. Evil is now good. Uh, what is true is now a lie, and what is a lie is now true, and, and so on and so on and, and, and so on. What is it that God is doing? <laughs> um, and it's not just that just people are just making up stuff. And they know that they're making up stuff, although that's certainly happening. Um, many people are communicating things that are lies. They're not true, and they fully believe them. I mean, do you sense this? Do you see it? Um, it's happening. And when you begin to see it, um, not just in the world, but you begin to see it in the church, you begin to wonder is it possible um, that God's justice is coming? Not to come and destroy his people, but coming to refine us as his people. But looking at this book of Malachi, I mean, asking the question, does it apply to us? And if so, how? Certainly we're not Israel. Um, but don't we do and say many of the same things? I mean, are we really any better? Don't we assume 
um, that we don't sin like other people do? I mean, if you're honest, <laughs> do you think that at times? Don't we oftentimes blame God for evil in the world and somehow think that he is not just condoning it, but maybe he even likes it? Don't we get upset with God when he doesn't deal with what we see as injustice and don't we believe that um, we deserve better than other people? Let's look at one other passage before uh, we close. If you want, um, turn to Romans chapter 1. And really just ask my question of how, the question of how, um, how do I see myself? How do I see us as God's church in Malachi? Um, I'm drawn back to uh, Romans chapter 1 where God is um, talking about um, his wrath that is coming on unrighteousness. And um, it's easy, it is so easy to just assume um, these things aren't for us. But God doesn't um, tell us about coming judgment of other people so that we can somehow relish in it. He tells us of the coming judgment so that we might take it as a warning to understand and look at our own selves and our own sin. But let's look at Romans in chapter 1. We're going to start in, in verse 18 and see if it sounds um, familiar for the world that we might live in today. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish, foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. They're inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, 
they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Then in chapter 2, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent, impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Although I don't think Paul is specifically talking about um, 2021, does it not sound familiar? And is it possible that um, we're tempted to think that uh, we as people or we as a church, um, globally, nationally, um, corporately, individually, um, are without sin? I mean, I mean, we know we can't say that. But is it possible that we act like that? And even if we think that this, this sin that it's talking about doesn't really describe us, do we gloss over a chapter 2 where it points out um, our ignorance of our own sin? Would we even say that we're not experiencing judgment now because we haven't done anything wrong? Did we miss chapter 2? <laughs> God's patience and His kindness, His patience and His kindness with us should lead us to repentance as His people. So what should we do? Do we just gloss it over and say, oh, that was, that was all well and good. Uh, let's move on with my week. Uh, I hope not. My hope is that uh, we as God's people um, are convicted by his word. That we would say, okay, God, um, these things that are going on in our world, um, they're not your fault. Um, it's our fault. First is your people. Um, and God, that um, we would want your refining justice in our lives. That we would allow him to bring the impurities to the surface. That we would at least be open to the idea that maybe, just maybe, 
there's something that God wants to deal with in me and that he would remove those impurities from our lives. That we would allow God's patience and kindness to bring us to repentance. And that we would be people who would worship him as the God who's loving and faithful and just. And that our offerings of worship um, would be pleasing to the Lord. So friends, justice is coming. Justice is here. I thank God that um, his fire is not one like a forest fire or that of an incinerator, but that his is one of refinement. And my hope is as we see justice happening in the world, that our response would not be arrogantly to say, well, finally, God, you did something about this. But that our response would be one of repentance and urgency. That we would have um, compassion and that we would care uh, for those in our world that are hurting that might not know the name of Jesus. May we be ever ready to share of the God that we love and we serve. And may we always be ready um, to allow God to refine us. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for today. And um, God, as we read your word, we, are, we at times, um, we find it, it heavy, especially as it uh, refers to sin. But God, we ask today that um, you would teach us, that you would um, convict us, that we would be people who are much more about you and your name and your cause and your greatness and your goodness. God, that we would recognize your patience and your kindness with us. Because I'm confident, God, that I, that we, have wearied you in many ways, much like the children of Israel. And God, that you might bring us as a people to repentance so that others might see your goodness and your greatness. Help us today as we... um, wrestle with these things and and deal with these things. God, that we would be about your glory and your fame. And in all things, uh, we are grateful uh, for Jesus Christ, that he would come in the midst of a world and a people um, that uh, would deny him and crucify him. God, that he would lay his life down for people like us so that we might be forgiven and set free and have a relationship with you. God, may we revel in the gospel and its goodness today. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.